Hi, welcome to our Hot Rod Bible Study. So tonight we're going to open in a new book tonight. The last couple of weeks we've been opening in a book every single week. And it's just been such an amazing thing. But tonight we're opening the book of Jude tonight. Um, you know, I, I planned, you know, my original desire was to do Jude kind of in two sittings and, and to go on. And, and we've all been excited about the book of Revelation as we've been talking about studying the book of Revelation. First time here at the Hot Rod Bible Study. But one of the things that the Lord, as I was starting to break down the book of Jude, there were so many nuggets in the book of Jude. And even though that it is a small book, and, and same thing as 2 John, 3 John, very small books of the Bible, but they are they pack a powerful punch. They are mighty books. And so we're going to kind of break it down. Tonight we're going to be going verses 1 through 8 tonight. And so I'll go ahead and read uh, the first eight verses, and then we'll go back and we'll see what the Lord will explain. He'll expound a little bit on what, what we're going to read tonight. But before we get started um, tonight, let's uh, let's ask the Lord to uh, bless our time together. And so, Father God, we uh, we come to you tonight, Father. Um, Lord, we, we're just thankful, for Father God, once again, that we may gather here um, to open up your word, that you have drawn and moved on the hearts of men, Father, that have come here tonight. And not only men, Father, but the people who are online who will tune in um, to this study, Father, we pray that each and every person has gathered here tonight, Father, to hear from you. And so, Lord, tonight as we, um, we open up your word tonight, Lord, as you speak to us, that we would contend for the faith, Father, that we pray, Lord, that you would put that, that that would be our marching orders, Father, that we would contend for the faith, for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray all of these things, Father, and we pray them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we go, verse 1 of, of the book of Jude, um, verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, uh, condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has restored in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to those to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. And so as we've been uh, studying here, as we get to the book of Jude, one of the things that's such, such an amazing thing about the book of Jude is, as we're going to go through it, and you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll share with you tonight, that the, the Jude, as we see, it is in the English, Jude. 
uh, in the Hebrew and in the, in the Greek, uh, his name is Judas. And there's a reason why that they left his name and, and made it Jude in the Bible. They didn't want to get him mixed up. And, and the name Judas, uh, we all know, has been tarnished by Judas Iscariot as we go through the Bible. And it, what's interesting, as I was studying for this, one of the other names, they said in Germany that Adolf was a name also as well. That was many uh, people named their sons Adolf. But after what Adolf Hitler did... That there isn't anybody in Germany after that point. The name kind of died. And this is exactly as we speak about uh, Jude here tonight. And so in the, in the, in the Hebrew, it was Judah. Um, and so we see that this is uh, his name. We're going to get into a little bit uh, as we go through the study a little bit more. I, I didn't want to make the uh, introduction so big. But the theme of the letter, and as I kind of spilled it out before the study tonight, is to contend for the faith. Or to fight for us to fight and this is one of the things that's so amazing about this small book of jude that he is actually asking us to contend for the faith for the true gospel of jesus christ and he's going to explain to us what is going on in the church at this time but one of the things that he is speaking about that there are people in the church that we have uh, people christians that consider themselves or tell us that they're christians and and, and I, I use christians and i use the word very lightly because if there's different denominations um, that, that whatever, they're Protestants, they're different denominations that consider themselves Christians, but who are walking in churches, but who are truly not saved and who are truly not given, never really given their lives to Christ. And so these are the things that he is going to talk about. And somebody that's very, very, we were very familiar with in the Bible, an example of this is Judas Iscariot. We all know that he was a man, he was, right, everybody knows that he was the treasurer, right? He was the one that collected the money at that time for the movement of Jesus Christ and he was a disciple of Christ and we see that he was in the church but later on we see that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver we see that in that who this is who Judas Iscariot did and this is what he did and so one of the things that we that I'm always amazed by that Judas Iscariot that he really comes to mind and, and one of the things that I want you to see tonight is that remember when they were in the upper room discourse that Jesus was in the upper room and then he had said that somebody would betray him and Jesus was talking to his disciples there as he had his disciples there and remember that everybody all his disciples went around the room and they started to say is it I is it I is it I they even doubted themselves but was interesting that Jesus said that the one who dips his bread in uh, the sauce with him would be the one that would betray him and then it was right after that, it was Judas Iscariot who dipped his. And, and remember what Jesus told him. He said, whatever you do, do it quickly. And we see that Judas got up from the table and he left. But what was interesting, what I always find interesting in this story is that when Judas Iscariot left, nobody said after he went out the door, said, oh, I know it's Judas. I know it's him that's going to betray Jesus because he, in his heart, outwardly, he fit the picture that no, it couldn't possibly be Judas because he was such a man of God. And this is one of the things that we need to be aware of, that there are Christians today, there are people in the church today that go to things, they come to church, they go to places, but this is the thing that Jude is going to speak to us about tonight, that he is going to speak to us about these people that come into the church and that are led us astray, the great apostasy. This is what um, the, the Bible speaks about in the end times and, and as, as we spoke, talked about these books tonight, about the end times, that there will be a great falling away, that people will start to say that they're moving away from the things of God. And so we need to be aware of that. And so one of the things tonight is, 
Pastor Greg, and I'm kind of going to kind of piggyback tonight off of his sermon. I just kind of love some of the things that went on this Sunday. And as he was studying Luke 14, and we know the study that, that as he was a man was being, uh, had been healed from dropsy, or dropsy, um, he had been healed from it on, a, on the Sabbath. And remember the, the people were trying to, they were trying to uh, back Jesus into a corner, and they were trying to say that, and so Jesus, what I thought was so amazing about the study is that they thought in their minds that, hey, we're going to set Jesus up, and he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath, and it's going to go against our law, right? It's going to go against our law, and we're going to trap Jesus. And what I thought was so amazing that Jesus asked them, before they even, anybody asked the question, Jesus said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They hadn't even asked him a question, but he answered their question because he is God. He read their minds. He knew exactly what they were thinking. And as they said that, we remember that they did not answer him because they knew that it was not in the word of God. It was their tradition. It was their tradition. And one of the things that I think in, in Pastor Greg's sermon that really spoke loudly to me, that if the things of the, our traditions, if they are keeping us from the things of God, from helping others, which God has called us to, that we, as he spoke about, Pastor Greg spoke about, that we need to lose our religion. And tonight, many of us, we know that we do not have a religion. We have a relationship with Christ. But I'm here tonight to tell you that I come from a traditional church. And it was so amazing. I wanted to share this with you tonight. Some of the things that I thought was amazing when I was young in the church that I grew up in, that oftentimes I, I, when I, there were certain things that, were in, in, uh, that they would teach us about, about holy water, purgatory, these things like this, they would teach us in the church. And the thing that I thought was so amazing is that when I, for the first time at 32 years old, I came and I started reading the word of God. The thing that was so amazing to me is I thumbed through the pages, first of all, looking for purgatory in the Bible, looking for holy water, looking for Ash Wednesday, looking for things that they had told me all along traditionally that this was the way to heaven. And none of them were in the word of God. And I think that this is so important that we see those things. Go ahead, Josh. Did you find the Pope? I didn't find the Pope in there either. And even I found Peter, and even though the church says that he is the Pope, we have a lot of information about that. And so I'm glad you brought that up tonight, Josh. But this is one of the things, and many times people say that, that maybe possibly that I'm trying, I'm trying to reach people that from the traditional church where I came from because the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is for them as it was for me. And, and one of the things that is when you open up the word of God, and, and one of the things that we see in the scriptures that I don't know if you know this, that in the, in the traditional church, they oftentimes they tell the people, the congregation, that they should not read the Bible. And the reason why is because that only they have been given the authority to read the Bible and to understand the Bible. And this is how they keep the congregation from actually coming to the word of God. And so we need to be aware. And just like, um, and just like in, the, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, they speak about the Bereans. The Bereans are the ones that search the scriptures. And so if they were blessed because they searched the scriptures, all of us, we should search the scriptures daily and look for what God is speaking to us about daily. It is a relationship that we have. Uh, one pastor that I, I follow, he said that early on, he before he, he came and he gave his life as a Christian, uh, but he went to a traditional church and he asked one of the priests, how do I become a Christian or how do I have a, this assurance of eternal life? And he told him, he said, well, this, this priest told him, well, have you, are you, uh, have you made your first communion? 
He said, absolutely. I made my first communion when I was 13 years old. He said, have you made your confirmation? He said, absolutely. I've done it. He said, are you a part of our congregation? Have you been, have you been listed in the list of the, of the church? Have you, are, you, are you part of the, of the church list, of the, the list of the church? And he said, yes, I am. And the, and the priest said to him, then you're in. And he thought about it for a second. And he said, what about Jesus? And he said, the, the priest said to him, I think you're confused. And he said, confused. He said that Jesus went to the cross and died for my sins. What about Jesus? Can I get in through traditions, through the, through the works of men? He said he could not get an answer. He told The only thing he told him is that you need to start coming to church on Sunday and they will explain all of this to you. And he said, I have been coming to this church for 27 years. And no one's explained this to me. It is when the first time that he opened up the word of God that God started to speak to him and started to have a difference and started to make a change. And that was one of the things he said. I've been coming here to this church for 27 years and I can see through these men that they were not changed. But I could see very shortly after six months of reading God's word that my heart, his heart at that time he was speaking about was being changed by the word of God. And this is why it's so important that we see this. And so this is what Jude is going to speak to us tonight. But before we get into verse one tonight, I'd, I'd like many of you are familiar um, with Duck Dynasty. You know, they're the ones that make the, uh, the calls for the duck calls and they become, and these are men of God. And, and one of the things that, I, that, you know, as I was going to talk about ducks tonight, I wanted to bring them up uh, tonight because they are uh, an amazing family and God is using them in a mighty way. I mean, even some of their daughters, Sadie Robinson, she's like a, a speaker and goes to churches and speaks for the word of God. It's a powerful lady of God. And, and just wanted to mention them. But as we're speaking of ducks, there is a, another company who makes duck decoys. And these decoys are so good that they quack like a duck. They actually, um, they, some of them even walk like a duck. They actually swim. Some of these um, decoys that they have, they actually swim. They have feathers like ducks and they actually use real feathers on ducks. And so these ducks are so real that the real ducks, they go into a pond and they land right next to them. And we know what happens next, they become dead ducks because we see that the, the hunters shoot them down. But this is what Jude is talking about us tonight, that just because they quack like a duck and they swim like a duck and they, and they act like a duck, doesn't mean that they're a duck. And this is what uh, Jude is going to speak to us about tonight. And so we'll get here into verse one and it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God, the father and preserved in Jesus Christ. The first thing why we see that Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, it's interesting because as we're going to get in the other part of the <laughs> verses here, we're going to see that this Jude that he considers himself a bond servant, a doulos, right? We all know that if someone, if they, if back in those days when they had a, a debt that they owed, they would go work for somebody to pay off their debt. Well, after seven years, if they hadn't paid off their debt, they were allowed to go free. And as, as they were allowed to go free, they could make a, a choice at that time that they loved their master or they loved what they did so much that they would ask if they could stay and if they could stay under whatever whatever conditions they were working on, they would be considered a doulos. And remember that the Bible says that they would take a hot awl and they would pierce his ear with it, that all would know that he willingly belonged to his master. And it's interesting to see that Jude, he considered himself a doulos, that he willingly, his heart, his love is for Jesus Christ. And as he speaks about this, it's just such an amazing thing. 
Um, but we see that as we get here, the brother of James. Um, there is many, like you said, Judases in the Bible. Um, but as we see, and many expositors have spoken about this, this is none other, and we're going to get into this heavily, and this is the reason why I brought up the traditional church tonight, is this is the brother of James, who is the half-brother. Both of them are the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And so this is, in the traditional church, I, I, I wanted to say this is one, one of those areas of Scripture that oftentimes they, oftentimes they fumble around and they come up with all these different things that they say about it. But I wanted to bring some clarity to that tonight. But one of the things as I remember, as, as I say the half-brother, and the reason why I call him the half-brother, they're both the half-brother, is it comes from Matthew 1.18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And we see that it clearly says there, before they came together, they had no relations that they, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that you see that Jesus was of the Holy Spirit. And this is how they become the half-brother, because even though they're raised as brothers, that we see that Jesus is of the Holy Spirit. He was not of Joseph, and this is how they are the half-brothers. But one of the things that I wanted you to see as we consider the children um, and the brothers and sisters of Jesus, and this comes from Mark 6.3. It says, Is this not the carpenter son of Mary and brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are there not his sisters here with them? Um, and so we see very clearly that the Bible named his brothers and sisters. One of the things that I wanted to bring clarity to the scripture tonight, that oftentimes they, they, the church oftentimes says that, oh, these were his Jesus's cousins. They, they weren't actually his brothers. They were his cousins. They weren't actually, you know, truly uh, like, you know, brother. And the reason why they say that, I don't know if many of you know this, but the reason why they say this, that they believe that Mary, and, and she was a, I will say that she was a chosen woman by God to bear Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of people they, in the churches, they oftentimes they put Mary down. I won't say that she isn't, but we need to be reminded that Mary had a had something for that God called her to do, to have Jesus Christ, and she was chosen by God to have Jesus Christ, but that she was not somebody that we are to worship or somebody that we are to pray to. And we know this because 1 Timothy 1.5 says that we have one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. We see that 100% man, 100% God. And so it is Jesus Christ who are we to come to and pray to. But one of the things, as I brought up, that I said the church said that they were his cousin. What I loved about this, and I was, I was studying, it really opened my eyes when I seen the word in the Greek, the word a brother in the Greek, it is the word Adelphius that they use here. Adelphius is the word that they use in the Greek for brother. Um, and so as, as we see that in sisters, Adelphi is a sister is the word, and it is in the Hebrew, in the Greek, it is a sister, a brother. But what I wanted to share with you, it's Colossians 4.10 that speaks about a cousin, that speaks about a cousin, but it is the word anisos. It is the different words that they would use for cousin so that we can see that here in the scripture very clearly says that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And like I said, though, I was raised in a traditional church that they said this was not true. And one of the other things I wanted to draw your attention to is this, this is Matthew 125. And it said, Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he and she called his name Jesus. You see that it was she brought forth her firstborn son. And so it is in implying that she had other children. 
But one of the things that, you know, oftentimes that they seem to want to look past this particular, uh, these things in the, in the Bible. But we see that the Bible can confirm these things as, as the traditional church believes. Uh, but I wanted to draw your attention to some of the other things we see here. Those who are called sanctified. Uh, sanctified is the word, I love this, in the NIV they said that it is the word agapeo. It is the word, which we get the word agape, it is the word love. So we are sanctified, we are loved. If anybody has a, an NIV Bible, it is in the NIV. It says that we are loved for this particular word. It says sanctified. It means that we are set apart by God when we have given, accepted the grace of God, when we accepted the gift of God. And I love this here. It says that there at the end of the verse, it says preserved. In the NIV, it says that we are kept by God, that we are kept by God. And, and we'll see this in Jude one twenty four. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. We see that God is the one who keeps us. We all know the verse here, John 10, 28, that says, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We see that Jesus loves us and he is the one that keeps us. We serve a God who loves and he hangs on to us. He holds us. Yes, he gives us free will. And when we, in our free will, we want to go outside the boundary of what God has called us to, he allows us. But he is always, like the prodigal son, looking that we would turn back to God because he knows that there is no plan that we have as men and women of Christ. There is no plan that we have that is better than the plan that God has for each and every one of us. His plan is the plan that, that he has for each and every one of us. And it's just, just to, that we would look to those things and we would clinch on to the things that God has called us to. And so here in verse 2, it says, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, we know what mercy is, not getting what we deserve. Um, love, right? We, we know that's the love of Christ. Peace, we serve the, the Prince of Peace. Love, this is who God is, right? 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. But one of the things as, as we see, as I was thinking about this, it says that we see that Jude here is praying that this mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. We remember, and I love this, it was Pastor Chuck Smith who, who, uh, who shared this. Um, he was talking about in the early church in the book of Acts that the church was being multiplied. As people remember that as they came and they heard the word of God, that 3,000 people came and they came to, to know the word of God. Um, what's interesting about that, and I'll just bring up a little tidbit about that, that I thought it was interesting, that 3,000 people were saved um, when, when, when uh, that they came to know Christ in the book of Acts. But if you go all the way back, um, remember when the law was given out that 3,000 people lost their lives. But we see in the gospel that the, that the church is multiplying, is multiplying in a mighty way. And so we see the, the, the mathematics of Jesus Christ, of God. The mathematics are just such an amazing thing. But as Pastor Chuck, I thought it was interesting that he said that he's always thanking God for the blessed subtractions of the church. He's always thanking God for the blessed subtractions because he said that this is when in his church, when things multiply, when, when God subtracts some of the people from the congregation, as he says, that some people come. And, and, you know, oftentimes in churches, there isn't always everybody who's so happy with what's going on in the church. So Pastor Chuck, I thought it was interesting that he's always thankful for the blessed subtractions as people maybe find another church to go to and, and other people he said that this is when the church grows in it and it, this multitude grows in, in a mighty way and so I, I just love that that pastor chuck was sharing that with us and so here in, in verse three it says beloved while i was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation 
I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We see here that Jude, as he was writing this, and this is the key verse of the whole chapter. This is the key verse here in three. And we see that we see that Jude was, he says, beloved, I, I, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So this was Jude's intention was him to write to you. And he wanted to write of the common salvation. He wanted to write to us of the common salvation. And he wanted to write something nice. And I think as us, as brothers and brothers in Christ, that oftentimes we love a, a, a feel-good message. We love a message that shares the love of Christ. But sometimes, as we're going to see in this verse, that God has called us to contend for the faith. He has called us to contend. And this is, but listen to this. I found it necessary... <laughs> to write to you, exhorting to contend earnestly for the faith. As we see that he found it necessary, we see that the pressure of the Holy Spirit, and this is as men of God, and, and I love this because I've heard this of Pastor Ed, that he, if many of you don't know this, that there is oftentimes, if you know that he does the study, that he does the Saturday night study, and then on Sunday morning he does the, the back, back then he was doing three studies on Sunday morning, right, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11. But oftentimes what I love that he has shared with some of us that sometimes that at the Saturday service that when he, when he goes out and he prepares his message that the Holy Spirit moves on his heart. And he'll go home that night and he'll completely change his sermon because it's something that God... And we see just like Jude that the men of God should be prompted by the Holy Spirit. That God is moving in their hearts. That he is... That it is the word that he wants the people to hear. Because you know what the reality is? That people, men and women, come to the church and it is God who knows what they need to hear. It is God who knows what the people need to hear. It is God. And so as he moves on men's heart, and we see here as he moved on Jude, that Jude had his heart that he wanted to talk to them about salvation, but he felt the pressure of the Holy Spirit that was calling him to write. And this term exhorting is a military term. Um, exhorting them to contend earnestly for the faith. The word contend, and many of us are, we know as, as some of you are boxing fans, and I know that some of you are here tonight or boxing fans, we talk about being a contender, right, of a contender. And, and a while back, I know I'm going to date myself with this, a while back there was a great show that was a series and it was called The Contender. Um, and there was uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Sylvester Stallone was on it. And they would bring fighters that were at one time considered that they had, an oper they had a chance and they would give them another opportunity to come and maybe become champion of the world. And it was a great show. But I, I wanted to share this, that this is what he is speaking about, that they would contend for the faith of Jesus Christ. And this is what he is calling them. And he put on his heart. And the reason why, because this time they see this apostasy is going on in the church. They see that the Holy Spirit is seeing that in the church at this time, that there is people in the church, but they are not truly, their hearts are not turned to Christ, that these are not preaching the true gospel, that these people are, are being led away of the things of God, and they, these are the things that are, are speaking about, that they are contending for the word. The word in the Greek means to agonize, we, we get the English word agonize, uh, that word contend in the Greek, and it means that we would fight, and we would agonize over the fight, that we would want to win that fight, that we are fighting for the gospel, and I know many times as we, we, we speak here, and I am always encouraging every one of us, and I'm encouraging myself, to go out into the world and preach the gospel in love. And, and we, are, we are called as Christians to preach the gospel in love. But when we are contending for the faith, 
We need to be reminded. We need to tell people of the true, the truth. If we love them and we truly love people, we need to tell them the truth in love. And, and some of the things I brought up tonight, I, the, what I was looking through the scriptures, it was Matthew 12, 34, where Jesus called the Pharisees, he called them brood of vipers because they had no fruit. Matthew 23, 27, he called the scribes and the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, and he called them whitewashed tombs, said they were beautiful on the outside, but full of dead man's bone on the inside. Matthew 21, 12, Jesus turned the tables over, and we're familiar with this, and he said that my house, my father's house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And one of the things that, that Jesus, the, the thing that really that moved on the heart of Jesus is because we all know that people were, were making merchandise out of coming to the church. And this was leading people away from God. And this is where God had to stand up. He had to contend for what he knew was true. And this is what Jude is calling us, that we would contend for the true gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would tell the truth of the things and, and seek the truth in the things that are going on. This particular um, verse also in the NLT said that we would defend the truth of the gospel. This reminds me of a, of a, of a story in the book of Nehemiah. If any of you have had a chance to read the, the book of Nehemiah, it is a, an amazing book. But we remember that they're building the walls of Jerusalem. Um, and then as they're building the walls, and one of the things that I thought was so interesting, and I, I know I get, on these, uh, I get on these rabbit trails and I start leading you guys down a little farther than probably you want to be led. But in the, in the book of Nehemiah, one of the things that I think it's so amazing is they're rebuilding these walls. And one of the things that I, I think is truly speaks to me is the men were rebuilding the walls with the materials that they had already. And, and I think many of us in our lives that when we want to rebuild sections of our lives, we're always thinking that we need to bring new things. We need to bring new things into our lives. And that it's something new that we need to bring into our lives. But we see that in the book of Nehemiah that they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that they had tore down with the rubbish that they had. And this is a, a lesson for each and every one of us that we need to rebuild the things of our lives with the things that we have already. These are the things that can build the wall. And there was two men in the book of Nehemiah. One of them, his name is to Tobiah, and the, and the other one, his name is Sanballat. And these two men, they would go around and they would make fun of the people that were making the wall. And they would, there was a, it was actually, um, uh, it was uh, Sambalot that actually came along, or Tobiah that came along. And he said, if you rebuild that wall, he said that even if a fox walks on it, it'll, it'll, it'll fall down. And we see that this is the enemy. This is the enemy, what he does in our lives. We remember that the enemy, his greatest weapon is discouragement. And he wants to discourage each and every one of us. That any times that we're building walls for God, that he always comes along and whispers in our ears, if a fox walks on that wall, it will fall down. But we all know the true gospel, that we are to seek the Lord. And the reason why I'm bringing up the, the book of Nehemiah tonight, because in chapter 4, there's a section that the men of God, as they're building the wall, and they have this opposition coming up against them, that they finally come to the point that they have a trowel in one hand as they're rebuilding the walls. And the Bible says that they carried a sword in their other hand. And we as believers, as followers of Christ, that this is how we contend for the faith. That the trowel, the things that we're building for God, that we need to be building those with one hand. But we need to have the sword in the other hand. And our sword, our spiritual sword, is the word of God. This is what we need to have in our hands. That we can contend for the faith of God. That how can we speak 
of the truth of the gospel. It is by spending time in God's word, in the sword, that would go out to the world and people would see. And the Bible said that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Many of you um, have shared with me, and I have experienced this in the workplace, that many people want to love you and want to accept you. But as soon as they see that you're a follower, all of a sudden you become excommunicated from the workplace. You become an outsider to the world. But this is what God has called us to be. We are to be different than the world. That other Christian believers would look at us and say, I want what he has because they're different. And, and I think this is the problem that's going on in the churches today. There's churches today that want to be just like the world. They want to accept sin. They want to accept things in the church. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to get into that a little bit. But one of the things that the churches, they are all accepting of the things that are going on in the world. And I think we need to be as a church, we, uh, not our church, but our churches, they need to be careful of this. So here in verse, um, are we in verse 4? Yeah. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We see these certain men that have crept into the church. It is speaking about here as Jude speaks about them. And they have, you see, they come into the church. And I know many of us, we think that we have an eye for these people in the church, but they have no name tag. Their name tag doesn't say, hey, I'm a false teacher. I've come here to the church to lead others astray. No, they don't have a name tag. They've come unnoticed. And, and I love the way that Jude expresses them. I got a question for you on that. This is your opinion I'm asking for, not biblical. Anybody else can jump in on this too. They got an insight. How would it be a false teacher actually rises to a position of prominence to actually teach? You know, really think about it. I mean, if the church is really online and doing the right thing, I can't just, you know, I know you all go, you all don't go to the packing house, but quite a few of us do. I can't imagine somebody could even get two seconds of time at the microphone who could open the prayer there if they didn't even know, you know, if they didn't, weren't based on the truth. They didn't have to be there for 10 years. You know, or something, but if they weren't touched by God, I don't think they'd get that opportunity. So, what would it be? You so, know, where would you, what kind of church would it have to be for somebody to rise up? You, you, you know, Josh, you bring up a good point tonight, and, and I think that the, you hit the you actually answered the question because you said that at the church they teach the gospel, the true gospel, and this is the problem that there is people in the churches in other churches that are not taught the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is how they are to rise to prominence and be able to teach in the church because there's other churches that say that if they want to speak about homosexuality, they want to speak about other things in the church that they're allowed. And they're actually, there's churches that are allowing homosexual priest pastors, they're allowing this in the church. And this is what we're speaking about. But if you go to a church, and this is what we talk about, that people, that, that, that the bank tellers, I always love the example of the bank tellers, that they tell them for the first six months, all they do is they, they give them, they give them a, a currency, they give them you know, original currency, and they let them count it, and they, for six months, and then they, the, the, the manager of the bank doesn't tell them anything, but all of a sudden, they start to sneak in counterfeits, and the bank tellers, all of a sudden, they start to pick it up, and they start to say, wait a minute, even though this looks like 
a real bill. This is, this is counterfeit. And they recognize it because they know the true gospel. They know the true word. And this is what you're talking about, Josh, that people, that if, you're, if you go to a church that they're preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, that nobody can rise up in the church because we are called to be Bereans. And be as people come to the church and they're to search the word of God and be led by the things of God. But not every church reaches uh, reads the, the Bible from uh, you know book by book, precept upon precept. There are a lot of churches they they have these topical preachers. They have all these different things that they talk about things of the world. And this is how people rise to those times that they're allowed to come into the church and speak. And this is what we're speaking about. We're not talking about our church that we go to. This is just the churches in general. Yeah. As as churches evolve into this new age. That they're talking about now that these churches come into this new age and they they want to be all accepting and then this is good i mean we are to love others and god has called us to love others but one of the things he has told us that never to accept sin never to blatantly accept sin and say you know uh, those good things go against the word of god go ahead chris i think we have to remember too this was the early church mm -hmm. didn't have the references that we have today we didn't have churches as organized as they are today and so they're and they were living among people that had nothing to do with Jesus yet. And they were hearing all kinds of things. And and, and these are spiritual battles. Your devil was there as he is now, today. We look at the things that we never thought we would see in our schools, much less our churches. And so um, I, think, I think it's unusual at all that there were people that are saying, oh, that, that's a bunch of that's a bunch of BS, you know. So they had, to, they had to content with that. They, sure. had to, they had to be willing to say no. Yes. Know, and be witnesses. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think they quite had the advantage. They, they, there wasn't an organized church in the way we think of it today. And, and I believe that one of the things that Jude is, he's speaking to them here, Josh, is he's speaking to them. He's trying to tell them what is coming up ahead as they continue to go down this path. That, and he's going to give in this next couple of, of, of verses, he's going to give three examples that there were men that oftentimes thought that they didn't have to, you know, necessarily go. And, and he's talked about them here that they, they have crept in unnoticed and they, they've actually took the grace of God and they made it lewdness. And, and this is what oftentimes that people say that they say, well, you Christians, you guys have the grace of God, then that's giving you a license to sin. And, and this is truly not what, what grace is. Grace as we come to accept grace. And we come to accept the grace of God, that God, as he does a work, and truly, as Josh talked about, if we come to know the true gospel, that we are not led astray because we know that we have the true gospel. And God, has, as we walk, we, it's almost like a marriage. We don't want to hurt God because we want to walk in his ways because His heart, he's, he's moving in us. He's alive in us and he's working in us and we don't no longer want to live the life that we once lived. And this is what what uh, what, we're, what he's talking about here, about these men that they often were led astray. And as we speak about this, Josh, I'm glad you brought up some of these things. I think the, the Holy Spirit knew that these things were going to come up tonight. Because one of the things as we go through here at, at verse 4, one of the things that we talk about, things that are happening in the church, um, that we need to be truthful with the people as they come and telling them that, about homosexual lifestyles. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says that faithful are the words of a friend, but kisses of the enemy are deceitful. And you see that we can't go around in the world telling people nice things and letting them be led astray and letting them be led and going down the wrong path. We need to tell them in love the truth and the truth of the gospel. And one such organization that I, that I noted today, and I thought this was amazing, it's called the Bethany Christian Services. And they are a huge adoption agency huge world global adoption agency 
And what's interesting about them is there was an article in the New York Times that said that these adoption agencies um, was um, given in to the, um, the, L the LGBTG, um, they gave in to, they're a Michigan-based organization, but on March 1st, 2021, <coughs> they gave in to the LGB. And one of the things is, and I wanted to read this tonight, the, the 2007, their position statement, this is this organization, the Bethany Christian Services, um, their, their um, position statement was, God's design for the family is a covenant and a lifelong marriage of one man and one woman. And we see now, as at March 1st, 2021, they abandoned that. And they said, no, no longer. And they said that they wanted to be accepting. The director in the article said that he wanted to be all accepting. And he wanted to allow that it didn't matter that if, if gay couples, because they could not procreate, that he said that they were allowing children to come and to be raised in that environment. And we see that there. And, and what, what's so interesting about this, that I know many of us as Christians, as believers in Christ, we said, yes, these people, they, they, we say that we love them and we say all these things, but we are trying to withhold children from them. We're not trying to withhold children from them. We're trying to love them. But the, but the stand that the organization needed to make, they just needed to make a stand and say, this is what the word of God says. But they were afraid of the, of the, of the aftermath of that, right? They were afraid. And I think that this is what happens in some churches. Go ahead, John. They're afraid of the cash flow cut off. Oh, that was another big one, yes. And like you said, though, God is, you know, God, like you said, though, he... Giveth and taketh away. And so, yes, they were afraid of whatever is going on. And so they gave in to the. But these are the things that are happening. And that, like I said, that was March 1st, 2021. So, you know, you can see that all this stuff was going on when COVID was going on. And so all these people were in the background trying to make things change. And they got them to give in. Um, but some of the things that are happening. And this is a good question tonight as you guys are bringing these things up. But here in verse 5, it says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And we see here that Jude now, he's going to give three examples. This is, this is interesting because he's going to give three examples and say that there were people that God loved who started well. Remember us as Christians, and, and this is, I love this, that somebody told me this years ago, that it doesn't matter how you start becoming a believer. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And these are the list of these three people that are here on this list. You see that they, they started the other way. They, they actually started off well, but they didn't finish well. And the first example he gives here, and he gives the example that he gives here, he gives it, and part of it's in Numbers 13 and 14, part of it's in Deuteronomy uh, verses 1 through 46. And it's about the, the, the 400 years that the children of Israel were in bondage and captivity, and they were crying out to God. And God heard their, their prayer. Remember that this is where he sent Moses to deliver them from captivity. He had sent Moses to take them out of captivity. And remember that we all know the ten plagues that came along. And we all know that as he delivered them and as they were delivered from, from that, that he took them out of all of that of the 400 years. But one of the things that I think that it's so interesting that we see that there was a time that they came to a place. And this is where it comes from Deuteronomy. That they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. This Kadesh Barnea was a place that it was the promised land that God had promised the children of Israel all along. And we remember that, that the Lord said that they, they had put here Moses and they had sent 12 spies over to spy out the land. And remember, they came back with a report and the report was two of the, of the guys came back with a good report. And it was Caleb and it was Joshua. 
But the other 10, they came back with a report, and their report was, oh, the land is good land, but there are some giants over there. There's some, there's some things that are going on there. There's some areas that we don't want to get into, and so I don't think this land is for us. And Joshua and Caleb were telling these 10 men, but God has given us this land. He's given us into, into our hands. This is what God has called us to do. And so the people chose to believe the 10 spies who, and they did not go, and they did not want to go. And remember that they always murmured the people of Egypt. And, and Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. The people wanted to go back to the world. They always murmured, why did you bring us out of here, Moses? We brought us out here to die. We were better off in Egypt. And, and that's what the, the, many times people want to go back to the world. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to go back to the world because uh, I'm, living, I'm living the time of my life here with the Lord now. But one of the things I wanted you to see is, as this Kadesh Barnea, the one of the things that is, they were going and, and the Lord was moving and calling them as they were going through this, uh, the, the, they were going through those years that as they came and they decided to, the, the, the plan that God had for them, he told them, okay, then this is going to be a generation since you did not believe God's word. And we see that this is a picture of people that will believe in the end. This is people that will believe a picture. If you do not believe Remember what he did. He sent them in the wilderness and they wandered around for 40 days, 40 years. Um, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and we all know that it was an 11 day journey. They could have got from where they went and where they were going. They could have got there in 11 days. But because they did not believe what God said, he allowed that that generation would die off in the wilderness. And only their children and Caleb and Joshua would come into the promised land. That they would be the only ones that would come into the promised land. And we, we see that he is telling them. I want to add something to that. The distance is LA to Blythe. And there were 3 million people. I did the math one time. I think if every guy reached their hand out. And touched the person in front of them on their back. There would be 3 lines of people. Yes. It'd be, it'd be, it'd, they, you know, When the first person got there. The last yeah. person would be leaving. Yes. You're right. You know, yeah. we went to the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of hills, a lot of hills. Yeah, you're right. That long. I heard right. something like single file or two, right. or two right. side by side. So, I mean, it was, it just, it was right there. Right there. Yeah. It was right there. But the Lord led them around in the, in the wilderness because of their disbelief. And this is one of the examples that Jude is using here. But one of the things I wanted to draw your attention to that I love about this, that even though they did not believe God, God is, and this is us in our lives, this has really spoke to me, that God in our lives, he's always trying to reach us. Because as Josh spoke about, these men were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. But what did he do for them? He gave them manna. He provided for them manna in the wilderness. Even though they did not believe, he provided manna. And not only that, though, he was a pillar of fire by night. And this is what he would lead them around, that they would have warmth. And then we remember that it was the cloud by day that he would lead them around the cloud as the sun would beat down on them, that they would stay under the cloud, walking in the where God had called them. And remember, Nike has nothing on God because we see that their clothing, their sandals, their robes, everything that they wore didn't wear out for 40 years. They didn't get new ones for 40 years. They had them. And I don't know any Nikes you have that are 40 years old. But do you see that the word of God, he provided for them, but why? Because he loved them, even though that there was an opportunity in their life that they did not believe. You see, it is the goodness of God who draws men. And he was good to the people out in the wilderness. And I do believe that when we get to heaven, that we are going to meet people that were walking in the wilderness the 40 years, who finally came and said, it is God that is providing all these things. I am going to believe now. And they may have died in the wilderness, but they are going to be in heaven. 
because God, the goodness of God, he provided for them as they were out in the wilderness. And it's always so, I'm always thinking about the things that God does for others, that he loves them. And even though I, I think that God's love is so different than our love, because when my children or, or when people in, that are close to me, when they don't, when I try to write them off, I, I, I don't want to provide water for them. I, I don't want to provide manna for them. I don't want to provide shelter for them. I, I want to say, no, no, they, they, they what, what do I always say? You made your bed, lie in it, right? That's not the love of Christ. That's not the love of Christ, the God of love. Even though that we turn our backs on God, he is always looking to draw us back, to love on us, that he is always trying to provide for us. It's the love of Christ. So here in verse 6 it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, has reserved in everlasting change under darkness uh, for the judgment of the great day. And so we all know as the uh, we speak about um, this, uh, this area of scripture comes from Genesis um, eight, uh, 6, verses 1 through 8. And it is speaking about the angels. And we remember that one time that they were, this, that talks them there about Genesis, that they were having relations with the women. And then it was right after this that, that uh, the Lord said that he was going to bring the great flood. And he was uh, that wished that he had never brought the men upon the earth. And he brought the great flood. And we saw that it was Noah. But I love about this, that even though the Lord that saw all this evilness that these uh, these sons of God, the Bible calls them, and that they consider them angels, that they were having relations with, I, I don't know how the story goes, and there's so many different versions of uh, what was going on, and there's so many commentaries that talk about so many different things. It'll take us all night to go through this whole thing, but, but I wanted to share with you, but one of the things I, I really drew from that story is that even though these angels were doing things they weren't supposed to, and it led God to bring the flood and the judgment on the world, that we see that Noah found favor with God. And once again, we see that even in the evilness of man, God found someone. He found Noah. That he did. It is not his heart that anyone should perish. It's that all would come to repentance. This is the heart of God. And we see that through that, God all along had the plan that men would go along and would go later on and would come through Noah. And this was one of the things that we see. But I know many of you have heard and other commentators spoke about this particular verse as the, the angels, they spoke about um, that, that, that remember when Lucifer, when he was let out um, and he was let out of, the, out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. And, and as I was talking tonight about, you know, that we need to stick to scripture, you know, that there never really is. I mean, we, we and I'm going to we're going to read it here. We're going to get to the book of Revelation. We're going to read it. But there is nowhere really where it says that, that Lucifer took a third of the angels, but they draw it from this scripture. And I wanted to share it with you tonight. Um, and it comes from Revelation 12 uh, verses three and four. And we're going to read verse nine as well. And it says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And this is where they get the reference from. He took a third of the angels. And it says, and the dragon uh, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. But down here in verse 9 it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so we see that as this example that he gives, that even though these angels started off well, as they decided to go with Satan and they went into the rebellion that we see that this a wicked this this area this time that they were going to go into outer darkness that this verse speaks about under darkness 
But one of the things that I, I loved about this verse that I was reading, that this also comes from Revelation 20.10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. And we see that here is the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And I thought about this, um, and, and I, I just really, really opened my eyes to see that we see here in this verse that we see that Satan will be under darkness, but he will be in this lake of fire. But I was thinking that these must be flames that Satan will endure or be in. These must be flames that don't give off light. We see that something that if he is going to be in darkness and if he is going to be in the lake of fire, that we see that this light, this, this light, this fire is not going to give off any light. That this is going to be a, an area. You know, fire doesn't give off, I don't know what they call it, but you can't run, you know, pull electricity from a photo cell from a fire. So the kind of light right here that you can run through a photovoltaic cell, you know, it's in a calculator on your roof. Mm -hmm. That's a different kind of light than a fire. fire. You know, fire doesn't make that wavelength or whatever it is. Yeah, interesting. I just thought it was interesting that as we see that tonight, as he called them to be out in the darkness, and he's going to be in the lake of fire with no light. So here in verse 7 it says, And Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to those, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so we see that I, I believe that this verse here, this verse is like for such a time as this, as we speak about. And we all know the, the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it comes from Genesis 18, 16, uh, verse, I'm sorry, Genesis 18, verse 16 through 19, 29, if someone's keeping notes. Um, and this is the story we know in Sodom and Gomorrah that we know that there were the things that were going on there. And we remember that Lot, that he was there in his house and these men came to visit him which were actually men of God that came to visit Lot, right? They came there. And as these other men in the city, they saw these men come to his house. They came to his house and started knocking on the door and they wanted to come in. And they asked, it's interesting that the Bible said that these men wanted to come in because they wanted to have relations with these men that were in his house. And we see the evilness of the homosexuality was going on. And this is back, as Chris talked about tonight, this is back in their day. That they, these things were going on. And this is the reason why I believe the Bible is speaking to us today. And we know exactly what happened in Sodom, right? We know that, that exactly what happened. That Remember that he told, um, that he told uh, Lot to take his family and to get out of town because he was going to call down fire. And he told them as he told them. And what's interesting about the story, if you don't know, that he actually told his son-in-laws that, that they were to leave the city. But they thought he was joking. They thought they were they were there in the city of Sodom, and the Bible says that they didn't leave along with them. Remember that it was Lot's two daughters and his wife and Lot that left, and they were leaving Sodom. And this is where, remember, that the wife turned around, and she looked, and she's the one that turned into the pillar of fire. But one of the things that I think is so amazing that we see in this particular area, that this example that he's using, that he's seeing that the things of God, that these things will not be acceptable to God. And this he's saying that these people... They were, they, they saw them, the people will all perish, and they were, this was judgment coming along, but what they were doing and this sexual sin that they were doing. But we as believers in Christ, we are called to love the sinner, but to hate the sin. We are not to go around and know that people live a certain lifestyle, and we are not to shun them away. We can never reach people who live a particular lifestyle, and this could be a heterosexual relationship. 
It doesn't have to be a homosexual relationship or a lesbian relationship. It can be a heterosexual relationship, but they're living it outside of the confines of what God says is, which we all know is Genesis 2.24, that says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so we know that, and this is what the Bible talks about, what God has called us. And so these are the things, and so we are to love them and not to, even though that he is speaking to us, this verse is here about contending for the faith, we're not to, not to shun them. We are to love them and to share the love of Christ with them. So here, last verse, it says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, uh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Jude tells us here that these false teachers are, are these apostates, right? These are that are they're leading others away, and, and so he's talking to them about that. And so as we talk about this, these things, it says here that they are dreamers. Uh, one of the commentaries said that these dreamers would be people that would be fantasizing about things in their mind. And, and it brought me back to Ephesians 6, that we all know that, that the, the armor of God, as he speaks about it, and he talks about the helmet of salvation. And these helmets, as, as we consider a war, right, we consider in, in warfare, as we consider the, we're in a spiritual war, we need to understand that we are as believers, as followers of Christ, that we are not in a playground, we are in a battleground. This is a battleground, a spiritual battleground. And as I speak it about these fantasies that these men were doing, that the helmet of salvation will be the one that will lead us away from these things going on in our mind. It is to protect our thoughts and the things that go on in the spiritual world that try to enter our mind. And this is the reason why we're called to have this, this, this armor of God. And one of the things I, I thought about too is as some of the armor, the way the, the sense of gird ourselves in the waist, the truth, the truth belt. And it always reminds me, my wife gets mad when I mention this, but it always reminds me of Wonder Woman that she had that truth belt, you know, that she had that truth belt and she would put it around people and they would tell the truth. But we are to tell the truth of the gospel that is, it speaks about the gospel of the truth and this waste uh, that we are supposed And then the breastplate of righteousness as we in our spiritual battle is to protect us, our hearts from the enemy. That we remember that, that, that we need to protect ourselves and our enemy because constantly our heart is being bombarded by these things that are going on in the world that we take in. And this is why we're supposed to have that shield, that, that, that breastplate of righteousness. And then, of course, the shield of faith, that we are to hold the shield of faith to protect our faith from the things that are going on in and through us. Um, and the, the, the feet that are shod with the gospel, one of the things that we are to be protected in our walk. And we saw last week that our walk is a metaphor for our Christian as we walk in the things of God, that this is the things that we are to walk in. But the very, the weapon that I love the most, and you all know this, it is the, the uh, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and all of us tonight, we've gathered here tonight and we've opened up God's word. And we need to know that we are to contend for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that I think, and as Josh was bringing up some, some very good questions tonight, one of the things that I, as, as we speak about things, I think that a lot of times that I think us as men, we, we oftentimes we complicate the gospel. The gospel is very simple. It is that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And if, if just like John 1.9 says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we pray tonight that God would do that in each and every one of us. And so... Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the study tonight. We thank you for your word tonight, Father. We thank you that you have moved on the hearts of men here to ask questions tonight, and, and you have prompted them, Father, because 
you uh, live in them, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing here in and through the Bible study. Um, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to guide us the rest of this week. Help us to see you in all things, Father. We pray all of these things tonight, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.